Rowan. Hello, 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 hello. Um, yeah, okay. And that was right. inspired, wasn't it? God. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, raring I'm to go. Uh, hold I'm, on I'm a minute sorry, while I shoot myself. Go snort uh, some pollen and wake up. Oh, I already did. <laughs> I know. I've already done that. I already, that's why I'm, you know, just I'm just just weighed down with pollen. But I had plans <laughs> to blow off the driveway today, and maybe so I thought, but nah, I wasn't inspired to. We we blew off the decks. Or when I say we, I don't mean me, of of course. But uh, the pollen is still there. There's a lot of rain coming today, and so why bother to do anything? Uh, some things are blooming, and some are dead, and so it's a little uh, kind of sketchy going into Easter weekend for the beauty of nature to have exploded, but it has not. It has in some places, but in others it's just been kind of a drag. But anyway, my first headline should turn the mood to one of delightful fantasticness and let's just go with it fun 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 all right part of the headline and the beginning of the headline is Hmm? barbie trailer brings fun 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 (laughs) okay (laughs) i've seen every gay man in america is rejoicing from what i can gather i never thought about it that way but then again i don't my mind doesn't work like that unless i decide to to transition which i'm still considering I've been a man long enough. Why not try the other one for a while? Anyway, uh, the the first piece of the copy from the CNN story, so many Barbies, such little time. The trailer for Barbie came out uh, yesterday, featuring not only Margot Robbie as Barbie, but also Dua Lipa and Issa Rae as other Barbies. I don't know what that means. Maybe the, are they of different races, colors? Well, I don't know. Barbie I don't, has friends, right? Uh, certainly. Yeah. Um, but And boy, is she diverse. The film uh, has a star-studded cast. Among them, Ryan Gosling is Ken. But there are more than one Kens. Uh, there are Kens, plural. In the trailer, we get the full-on Barbie world, from the dream house to a convertible car. Not to mention the Barbie and Ken love story. Here is an example of the dialogue from this soon-to-be award-winning, Oscar-sweeping film. (laughs) I thought I might stay over tonight, Gosling's Ken says to Robbie's Barbie. Why? She responds. Because we're a girlfriend and boyfriend, Ken replies. To do what, Barbie asked, to which Ken says, I'm actually not sure. We, they could rub their dents together, I suppose, and see how that works out. Uh, it's being released by Warner Brothers, owned by CNN's parent company. Opens in theaters on July 21st. Why do I find this depressing? I, 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 oh, no. I, I, it's just a silly movie. Every I'm, It obviously doesn't take itself uh, at all seriously, and no reason that it should. So, yeah. I, I don't know. The trailer that I saw, I guess, might have been the teaser trailer, uh, because it opened up with this, what looked like a grim historical documentary kind of feel, and with the taglines <laughs> of, uh, since the dawn of civilization... Little girls have had dolls, and it's showing oh, girls nice. carrying Barbie dolls in what look like medieval peasant outfits, and then it says, but they were all babies, and the 2001 music starts playing up until, 
and then the camera goes to the high heels of that the first Barbie, the one that was modeled after the sex doll from Germany. And, oh, yes. <laughs> okay. and it, the camera pans up on that. And all these little girls with their baby strollers take out their baby dolls and start smashing them like the apes in the opening scene of 2001. That's awesome. <laughs> That's actually pretty smart. Uh, I found uh, some comments on uh, BuzzFeed about the premiere of the trailer of this new film from some really wise-ass people. Uh, one lady says, uh, so sorry to inform uh, Christopher Nolan and Martin Scorsese, but the Barbie Oscar sweep is inevitable. <laughs> uh, and then the majority, uh, uh, there's a thing about uh, Barbie taking off her shoes, but her feet stay the very same. <laughs> Right. So I oh, guess she's that, on her tippy toes. That the plastic, yeah, that the plastic foot and the, um, that's, it says that uh, that's only to be in the Barbie foot shape. Now that, in all caps, is cinema. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, the majority of these, uh, this movie from a guy named Sam Stryker, who is a, a darling young fellow, says it's really like the Avengers Endgame but for the gays. <laughs> and, uh, and then a picture of Ken's friend who is quite um, effete and gay and looking very happy. There's a picture, uh, I don't know where this came from. Um, what's his name? The actor from Breaking Bad. Um, uh, Brian Cranston. Oh, yeah. I don't know what, what this is from. But it's him with a pink sweatshirt on um, and a pink poodle in a pink purse walking up the street and the <laughs> caption is one ticket for the Barbie movie please and so that's he's funny. doing that there's one that somebody has already made up ghost face Barbie and oh. it shows Barbie in the scream mask holding a knife <laughs> and so let the good times roll um, uh, people are fired up about this and I think it is, I don't know, do little girls still find this to be relevant? Is Barbie oh, sh- in their lives sure. as it was in little girls from days gone by or not? I'm sure because there are unhip? more Barbies now. There are very many more Barbies now than like when I was a kid. There's black and light brown and Asian and then she has various accoutrements and various other things. Well, and don't forget the collectible series. What was in that one? Oh no, the, they, it's an ongoing thing. They make special, oh. you know, you know, Gone with the Wind Barbies or something like that. Oh lord! Like Monopoly and, made Beatles yeah. Monopoly and Star Wars Monopoly but, and yeah, so it's uh, that kind of thing. But uh, but unlike the regular Barbies, these are designed for grown-ups to spend a lot of money on and never take out of the box. Why? Uh, it, it's the same way that guys like my son and you probably have. Goodness knows how much Star Wars stuff. That's never been opened. Ah, uh, no. Mine, mine has all been opened uh, and played with that I still have. Well, I don't know about this, but anyway. Uh, so Barbie, fun, fun, fun. At least in a world gone mad, we have Barbie to look forward to, I suppose. I wonder, I, I look forward to seeing what, what the box office does for this thing on its opening weekend, which is not for a little bit. Then I found this story on the same note, kind of. The future of Harry Potter. Harry Potter fans could soon get a fresh spinoff. Warner Brothers Discovery is close to a deal to, to, to produce a new TV show based upon the classic books. Do we need this? How many 
films have there been about young Harry? Uh, each season of the show would be based upon one of the seven, there's my answer, J.K. Rowling books. What's happening is that Rowling, who has the final say over how the material is used, has not signed off on the deal. Maybe she thinks enough is enough. Or has she mentioned another book in this series, Wes, that I missed? No, like I yeah, not that I've caught any wind of. The, uh, and the, the whole Wizarding World thing, they were trying the sequels with the Fantastic Beast storyline, and that got overplayed and ran thin. So maybe she is thinking that enough is enough. Maybe lay low for a while and give it another half generation before you try anything new. Yeah, uh, the series has already had some spinoffs, uh, a play, a prequel mm -hmm. film series, theme park attractions, and video games. Uh, Warner Brothers, who owns HBO, has been eager to do more of because they, they just never, there is no, there are no boundaries for greed. And so they can use them as, as often as they like, but it doesn't always work out. And Wes, Wes has a piece about that too on a different show. Uh, but they want to do something with one of the best-selling book series of all time. When did all this um, roll out? What year was that? That was the 90s, I think, when that started, when the first book came out. Let me see. Uh, anyway. But, I mean, it was, yeah. That, I mean, when a, a book series forces the New York Times to change the way they do things, then you know it's pretty plenty significant. How did it change the, what the Times did? They didn't used to have a best-selling children's chart. Ah, and okay. then suddenly their their bestsellers charts, you know, that are filled with, you know, thoughtful, you know, nonfiction books that are deep in research and hard hitting action thrillers that are just exciting. And then there's a whole lot of Harry Potter books in there. They didn't like that. Yeah, the uh, Times Book Review, and I really miss having that that newspaper every Sunday, but that stopped a long time ago. But their book review section was that uh, there it was at an, an an entirely different part of the newspaper, but they went from having their bestseller lists to having four or five, six other categories, mm -hmm. much like you know music lists did for the various various formats of all kinds of radio, mm -hmm. from country to various forms of rock, alternative, mainstream, uh, and then books began to have a number of other lists, but that seemed to slow down. But now that we don't get the newspaper anymore, uh, it's online, I guess, and I yeah. subscribe to that, probably for all the word games. But uh, I get a news feed now from the Times in the morning and the afternoon for, for five bucks a month. So I could probably log in there and find out what I want to about the books. But um, uh, there's just there's only so much time in the day to look at yeah internet things and try trying to read two or three at once and but I get distracted and I can't focus on books uh, as long as I used to I don't know why that is maybe it's because there's so much gosh damn television to watch that right. could be part of the problem God, I, ju I just can't <laughs> and I I usually read and I, I get up in the morning and I get my coffee and I usually read a few chapters of something before I do anything else just to clear my brain of whatever is left over from whatever nightmare I woke up in the middle of. And so I do that, and um, I got two or three things happening at once now, but uh, but the TV shows and just trying to sleep, I think, is getting in the way of many things. But that's just the way it is. On the same note of television programs, I found this surprising that it's on the 
list of stories that uh, that uh, that uh, Wes found uh, about the Amazon version of Lord of the Rings. Didn't go well, huh? Well, how did this work out, Wesley? Yeah, this was not Lord of the Rings. Technically, this was a prequel to it because Tolkien wrote a lot about his world and setting, and the producers for the Rings of Power series were adapting some of the things that happened in the earlier ages and that led up to the Lord of the Rings. And the the trailers sure looked good, and that convinced a lot of people to uh, check it out. And they spent—I'm trying to find the number here—a a bunch of money. It was the—it was their most expensive television show, well, in history. No one has spent more on a TV show than Amazon spent on the Rings of Power. And wow. out of everyone that watched out watched it and checked the first episode out, 37% watched the whole thing. I'm one of those. And I think my husband is too. Yeah, they, they, uh, there's a whole. The Hollywood Reporter goes into a lot of detail about this, but it's saying that the this is just this like the symbol of how Amazon Prime's TV and their movie studios are just a, a big, giant, and expensive mess. Yeah. There's uh, a studio's chief that they say is quick to make big deals and big with big names, trying to build up the. Uh, Amazon talent pool. A lot of these shows, though, fail to deliver. They mention the $140 million Daisy Jones and the Six series that we all saw. Charted well. $140 million? Well. Damn, yep. I didn't know that. But it failed to be enough of a breakout hit, and it compared poorly to cheaper shows from Amazon that actually did better because they can hmm. keep up with you know, how many things, how many times these things get watched. They say also that these studios depend something we've all three heard way too much about. The studios rely too heavily on data and focus groups. Yep. Oh, yep. And, uh, yeah. I've watched that stuff as if you all, well, in my entire life in, in this business, uh, these focus groups began back in the 70s when FM radio began to have a structure. Because before uh, 1975, let's say, you were pretty much on your own, and there were some basic rules to follow. When you were playing uh, playing songs on your show, there was no computers, there was nothing like that. What you had was two metal boxes full of index cards, and they were in various categories, A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever the, the, they were, and the rotation was on a sheet. It would go A, B, C, A, B, whatever the case may be, and so you go to that category and you pulled up the first card, allegedly, unless you hated the song, right. which we usually did, and we would just skip it. And so we would get yelled at for that. And but that was the only kind of structural. There was there was no body in charge that said you must do this. And then uh, when I was up in Louisville at WLRS, which was one of the most well-known album rock stations in the country because it began in the early 70s and then a gentleman named Lee Abrams who was a consultant who began his business his first station was in Raleigh Raleigh Durham North Carolina and uh, his ideas began to catch on and so my station up there was the third one in the country where this guy and his team I hate that word uh, came in and introduced a structure to FM radio and it 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 did change things considerably 
it didn't uh, confine you uh, entirely, but it was the it was the beginning of the corporate world and their meddling in radio programming. And you know how that goes when you get people involved that are programmers. That's okay, but then you also have to drag in people that are in middle management who don't know shit from Shinola, and they offer their two cents, and then it trickles downhill. So then I moved to San Diego a few years after that, and lo and behold, uh, here is Lee Abrams again, the consultant, um, <laughs> putting in this brand new uh, his his uh, system on how to program these stations. So so the 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 uh, freedoms of the guy on the air were immediately removed, not entirely, mm -hmm. but pretty much. So that was in the, and by 1980, this was um, uh, it was all in place. There were there, there there were formats and structures, and that's how it, it was all done. So there was focus groups and then ratings, and uh, that just turned everything into whatever it is. Well, which is a complete mess now in 2023 for television and for all the things that they tried to monitor and to rate and to use these, the endless forms of data analytics and. You have to wonder how accurate any of it is. Is it even 50-50? Because some of the methods that the the majority of the public have no idea how this is done. But it makes you wonder. It's it's a scam in many ways and inaccurate in many others. And uh, it has helped destroy many careers and many stations. And now they're going to be all fighting for their jobs. Uh, as these big corporations are thinning the herd uh, more and more every day. And the broadcast companies are going to be on that list, if they aren't already. Ask Disney. Um, yeah. They're really having mm -hmm. a rough time. But that's going to all trickle down. There is more news today about uh, how Alphabet, uh, Google is going to be cutting a lot of jobs. Everybody, I guess, got too cocky. And there was too much money and too much success. And now they're having to walk that back but um, it's the way of the world man um, if somebody does something impressive and successful by all means copy it and you're sure to win for about two years until somebody comes along and out copies your copy and you're doomed so uh, <laughs> that's um, you know pretty upbeat uh, forecast there but it's the truth it's there's too much and it eats itself and so there you go uh, a different kind of entertainment. This story came out yesterday, but I kept it for today. Um, and we all are drawn to various kinds of entertainment. For many of us, it is it's it's film, uh, TV shows uh, these days, especially the theater, music, books. This form of entertainment, or you know, sports. I don't know where this uh, this operation where they fall in that list of entertainment concepts but a big move was made to combine two things that reflect the animals that we really are in society and it was is a gigantic deal and is going to be huge i'm suspecting or a gigantic failure we'll find out we'll run that down to you in a minute or two if we play some songs eight seven eight nine four two zero is where you can text that includes text for lawyer Bill, who'll be here tomorrow to answer your questions. And so, just uh, give us some anything you got your take on anything and questions for Bill. Eight seven eight nine four two zero. 
First, we'll go to John Mayer and a fantastic song about a lady who was featured on a PBS special over the weekend. You can probably find it someplace on your TV. It was Joni Mitchell in concert. Uh, one of the first things that she's done forever, and uh, PBS had the entire show. This song by John Mayer is an ode to the Queen of California. This is Drake Digital. Back to various kinds of entertainment news and notes. I wanted to get to this, too, because I saw Kevin Costner over the weekend uh, giving some speech at some... Th I'm not sure what it was, uh, but he referenced Yellowstone briefly. And nothing has been said much about the return of Yellowstone with him in it or not. There was a big discussion about his involvement in part two of this season. Because all the stories uh, would indicate that he uh, was, uh, was a bit tired of it, had other things he wanted to do. And so there was some talk inside Paramount about the future of that program, which is the biggest hit on cable TV ever. And so Wes found this update. I want to hear what this says. Yeah, from the Paramount Network, they there was okay. It was February when all these rumors started floating that yeah. Kevin Costner was you know, he was feeling like he was spending too much time on on location. His wife wasn't happy about how often and how long he was gone, and he had talked apparently, according to the rumors in the story, talked the producers down to only 50 days of shooting for the second half of this fifth season, and then he only wanted to film for one week, and they started, the producers started making plans to have that series just end, uh, to replace it with another one with uh, Matthew McConaughey. But Paramount sort of denied all of this and said that, no, he's going to be a continue to be a big part of Yellowstone. And Paramount Network's president of development and production, a guy named Keith Cox, has gone a little further than that. He was at a convention at Haley Fest. Don't know what that is, but he was at a panel on that that Costner was supposed to be at, but didn't didn't make it. Yeah. And he said that everyone is very confident that Costner is going to be continuing with Yellowstone. That's from the Hollywood Reporter. But uh, they, maybe they will scale it back for to meet these time demands. The story says they could basically they could film all of his parts in one big go, I guess, and then film everything else that they need to film without him there as they need to. Mm, but That uh, seems unlikely to me, uh, knowing that show pretty well. Yeah. So uh, so, there, so that was a thinly veiled, he'll be here, but no details. Basically, it, it's, a, it's not a no, he's not leaving. It's not an absolute positive statement that he's here, he's committed to it. It's a very, very weak sort of, yeah, confident yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, well, and if he's at a conference, he's not going to sit there and start telling people eh, he's probably not going. I mean, you guess know. what? It's canceled. <laughs> uh, Taylor Sheridan, who um, is the really, really bright guy behind this entire um, the the uh, first show Yellowstone <clears throat> was uh, was his baby. And in my estimation, they got, uh, it was so big so so quickly that they branched off and he was writing two other shows that are that were the precursors to Yellowstone. And they're on Paramount+. Plus. So he really seemed to overextend himself, maybe, 
in in the writing of these other shows. And I think in the estimation of a number of people that love that show, the idea of making uh, Kevin Costner and his character, uh, John Dutton, who is the daddy and the uh, he runs the ranch, which in the in the show is the biggest ranch as far as acreage in the in the country, and then all of a sudden he's the governor, uh, and that took it in a direction that was never fleshed out, and was rarely even referred to after the first couple of shows, so they painted themselves into a bit of a corner, uh, trying to have John Dutton being the governor. And then the father of all these kids that are all uh, have their own issues individually, plus the rest of the great cast. So they they got in over their head, and maybe Costner got tired of the back and forth, having to play two different uh, kind of characters. It it was it was a messy season. I guess they showed I guess they had eight episodes. Now they plan to come back with eight more. Um, so I think it's understandable why Costner has some fatigue on the entire thing. That show is work. I mean, it's, it's, mm, it is it's it is horses and cattle and this huge ranch and the inner workings of the family. And this past, past season was about all the relationships of his kids and their mates and his, his own stuff and him being the governor. And it got a little bit tedious. So I guess they've all stepped back trying to figure out the best way to, to, to go about this. They don't want to lose Costner. Now McConaughey would certainly be an interesting guy to bring into it because he, uh, I think he could could fit in nicely. But as what uh, is the question? So uh, this story from Dude is pretty vague and doesn't say anything. So we're going to have to wait and see what Yellowstone does with itself. We'll find out. But Kevin ain't getting no younger either, and he um, he wants to do other other projects, and he has young kids, so. Uh, life is hard. Everybody has a challenge. Here's the one that I uh, I never understood it, but then again, I do understand it. In my youth, um, there was boxing. There was Muhammad Ali, and there was George Foreman. I have a distant memory as a child of listening to the radio with my grandfather when Cassius Clay fought... Um, Sonny Liston. That was a big, big deal. That was on the radio. And so Cassius Clay from Louisville, Kentucky, who I had heard about my entire life uh, and met the man one time in a very uncomfortable, uh, he was, he was, a, he was a very arrogant, proud man. And uh, that, that's a whole, whole different story. But, but boxing was the thing, the sweet science. There was uh, Cassius Clay, who became Muhammad Ali. There was George Foreman. Uh, the, uh, the list goes on to Leon Spinks and um, all these people that were known in that sport. And the sport uh, just kind of dwindled down to nothing. And these days, I still see boxing matches on ESPN, um, but it all transferred over into Eventually, World Wrestling Entertainment and Vince McMahon and his outfit worked their way into not the same audience, I don't think, at all. It was more entertainment and more more drama, and it filled up 
gigantic coliseums and arenas around the country and the world. And people um, flocked to Hulk Hogan and whoever the hell it was, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and uh, on a local you know, kind of a basis, it was a big deal in Memphis mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Dave Brown and with Jerry Lawler and that entire family of folks that uh, left their mark on, on this city and elsewhere. And so wrestling, I never, I never was drawn to it. One of the reasons was, this is an absolute truth, my father worked in live TV in uh, wow. Louisville at WAVE-TV. He was a floor director. And I remember this stuff being on television on Saturday mornings as it was maybe all around the country yeah. from local mm-hmm. stations and local you know, TV stations. And when I asked about it, uh, he told me years ago, that it wasn't real, that it was entirely staged, and nobody got hurt much, and that they were kind of play-acting this entire thing, which I guess kind of jaundiced my view of, of the of the whole thing. Sure. I just didn't ever find it that entertaining. But it turned into some kind of a, a circus and a, you know, fighting event with drama and with... Uh, all kind of storylines and things like that that I, I never really, really got. And then, I think, to put a fine point on it, there was a movie called The Wrestler that Mickey Rourke uh, was the star of. And it showed the inside, behind-the-scenes look at small-time, small-town wrestling on a circuit where the guys who had been big at one point they had fallen down and were older and were hurt because uh, the thing was uh, without question pretty physical and they got hurt and torn up yet they kept on touring and you know cutting themselves with with these blades in the ring and bleeding real blood and that movie was the last big thing he ever did uh, but Mickey Rourke's life turned into another very odd odd situation but the WWE continued to be a big deal. And I don't know if it is what it used to be or not because of uh, Vince McMahon's family issues and his own problems. The other thing I, I didn't understand and don't is the UFC. This is ultimate fighting. It doesn't have, it, it involves, I guess, boxing and judo and teabagging dudes laying your balls <laughs> on somebody's forehead and. I just thought I thought it was stupid, and I think it also uncovered the caveman-like um, instincts that we have. And but women do it too. I I don't know. A lot of folks dig it. Maybe it's just their form of of escapism, like football is for other people. The point is, is that they have done a, a gigantic deal, worth over twenty-one billion dollars. UFC and the WWE have uh, come together to be one entity. Hmm. And the UFC is worth $12.1 billion, and WWE is worth 9.3, which shows you that the UFC bypassed them financially mm-hmm. some time ago. So this is a rare opportunity, says somebody in charge to create a global live sports and entertainment pure play 
that's a new word, uh, for a built for where the industry is headed, says some expert somewhere who may or may not know what he's talking about. Vince McMahon will remain at the head of uh, his operation. He's the executive chairman. And the company will be positioned to maximize the value of our combined media rights. So uh, the shares of both of these things fell in early trading. I wonder if that's on the suspicion that maybe this has come and gone. I don't know. But you only see it on ESPN sometimes. I guess there are pay-per-view events. Uh, but the UFC had a pretty big following and produced some pretty good-sized names, I guess. But do either of you have, or your kids, care about this? Not a bit. No. Now, when I was a kid and we saw, you know, the wrestling Saturday mornings on Channel 5 with Dave Brown and everybody, we were little, so we thought it was real. So we watched it and we liked it. But I wonder, yep. now that you say this deal is happening, this week on Wheel of Fortune, it's WWE week. And yes, so uh, the players uh, have, uh, their uh, players are with somebody from WWE. And last night was this Yahoo who was conceited. His shirt was unbuttoned. It was flexing and clown. acting like yeah. an a-hole. And they freaking yeah, won. Pat and I was like, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, probably yeah I, I, cut I'm not quite sure what the audience <laughs> is. Uh, this Monday deal marks the end of... WWE is a family-owned business. Vince McMahon bought the company from his father in the early 80s and transformed it into an entertainment empire with events every week. There was a Monday night event that was on, on the TV and, and it was a big deal. And they would play here at, at the Coliseum and the Pyramid and it was always sold out. And uh, two years ago they uh, hit a deal with NBC Universal to stream uh, some of these things on Peacock, and that deal was worth a billion dollars. Wow. So there's an audience for this. Who they yeah. are, I'm not quite like sure. It. it sounds to me, I don't know if it's all in the South or not. My, I guess not, or it, it wouldn't be so big. Uh, but uh, the entertainment value in watching a couple of men beat the crap out of each other, I've never really understood that's why, back to the original point, that boxing was an art and a skill. Yeah, that was different. That, that, was, that required um, inherent uh, kinds of talent and grace and power, which is what those guys had, Muhammad Ali and uh, the entire bunch that was around that in the 70s and, and up until, uh, I guess boxing hasn't been relevant for at least 10 15 years but well, here not, you go now we like see how this goes no. yeah but yeah. Uh, just to, to sum to sum that up what you the point you're trying to make is boxing is a sport and the wrestling yes. that we see is entertainment it that, yeah, that's exactly good. it yeah and ufc is entertainment um i guess twice as intensely well it's just i don't get it um some of these things, I remember, they would be on TV for, you know, 40 bucks to watch it, and they're over in 20 seconds. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, yeah there's still pay-per-view, I'm sure, for these events. I guess. There's a following someplace. I'm, I'm assuming that it is younger men, 25 to 54, or maybe Probably. 18 to, to you know, 30. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a huge deal. And now we see if it... Because there's, there's, there's so much competition now for the entertainment dollar. How do you define how much of this will be spent on this? 
You have all the big sports. You have uh, all the other entertainment forms. You know, movies that stream, TV that streams, and now this. Is it a sport? No, not really. Is it entertainment? Yes, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if there's an audience for that, there's an audience for freaking... You think we, we're sitting here asking who's going to watch... Who watches this? Who watches Naked and Afraid? That's that's got to still be on because I I see trailers for it or whatever. What the hell? People who are undressed and afraid. I that's God. the biggest crock of shit on TV. Yeah. Naked and afraid. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, don't be afraid because your entire camera crew is there and the right. you know catering service, so you'll be just fine. <laughs> I, I, With the, your mosquito bites and your. I, I in fact wrote this down. I was sitting up here after watching some basketball or something. And uh, ESPN had a graphic in the right bottom part of the screen. Coming up, the pickleball slam. <laughs> this Didn't has turned we... into a thing. And I um, this began as a thing, if I remember this correctly, for older uh, people because it looks to me to be glorified ping pong slash tennis it's on like, a really little court it's a right? weird hybrid of kind that of. yeah you're right yeah it is yeah. it's a hybrid of those two things with bigger paddles and a ball that's a bit bigger but that's but the court is much much smaller too but it's a big deal and they had the pickleball slam i thought good god and it's not old people it's everybody now I know some some couple who in their twenties who plays, and then but then my like stepdad who's early seventies plays. So I, don't, I mean, it's, it's kind of probably like great exercise, too, maybe because of the because of, of the the smaller space and the running around with paddle and ball. I I don't I I don't know. I think I'll have to not I'll have to. I mean, can you bet on it? <laughs> oh yeah, of course yeah, you can. Why probably. wouldn't you? Oh well, then I love it. I mean. <laughs> Bring the it. pickleball slam, my ass. Uh, okay, well, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, several interesting lists that we come across. Sid's got one about the highest-paid entertainers in the world, and uh, guess what I found? It's, this happens about once a year. America's unhealthiest cities. All right. Oh gosh. The subheadline says Southern states dominate the list. According to experts, that's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. we don't need no experts I'm, to know that. Uh, first, uh, here's Willie. Energy follows thought. This is Drake Digital. Lists are fun. Uh, lists got out of control past twenty years. I don't know who it was that began the the fascination with the top uh, everything. Um, Rolling Stone magazine were one of the people that do uh, that that started this, and they still do it. The top fifty songs of all time, the top uh, top guitar players of all time, the top blah 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 of all time, and they keep on doing it uh, every generation or so because opinions and tastes and those involved change. But they keep doing it because it is a great source for argument and discussion yeah. about who's the best at this ever. And they do it for everything. Um, uh, maybe it was Entertainment Weekly that also did lists, but everyone does them now. 
Some of them have, uh, seem to be kind of valid and some of them are a waste of time. Uh, but when they're done by people like, you know, Forbes magazine, they do seem to carry some credibility. So Sid's got this one. Uh, what is this current one about? This is the Forbes top, the highest paid entertainers in 2022, the top 10. Entertainers, meaning movie stars, musicians. Uh, yeah, kind of people deal. who make TV or movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Go ahead. we we don't know number ten. I've heard of him. He's Puerto Rican. I, I don't know if he's a rapper or just a singer, but Bad Bunny is oh, number yeah. ten. I heard of him. Oh million. yeah, I have all his records. I, th I thought that you were down with him. Um, uh, number nine, our girl Taylor Swift. Well, girl, okay, good. Fit streams, physical Number record nine. sales, digital downloads. She'll be yeah, higher. She'll be higher She's this slipping. year. Yeah. She'll be higher. Yeah. yeah, she'll be higher at the end of this year. Uh, number eight, James Cameron. Avatar: The Way Avatar, of Water. Much, yeah. Third yeah. movie among the highest-grossing movies of all time. Uh, Rolling Stones at number seven. How? Royalties tour and royalties. They didn't. Uh, okay, royalties. Okay. Yeah. All right, number six. I didn't haven't thought about this guy in a while, but he has a production company too, and he's earned some cash from his movies in 2022. Doesn't say how many movies he made, but Brad Pitt. Huh. I can't okay. think of any movie hit he's had in a long time. I mean, I can't I mean, think. Yeah, I can't hit. think of what he's major been in. blockbuster thing. Huh. Yeah, well, okay. he sold his production company, so that's part of it. Okay. Um, one of the longest running shows that you hate that we brought up maybe yesterday, the guys who make the Simpsons, Matt Groening, James Elbrooks. It used to be. Uh, okay. Number four, the people behind South Park, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Well, they made a fortune on Broadway too, with yeah. that play that, yeah. that is still running, right? Yeah. yeah Book of Mormon. Yes. Book of Mormon. That was and, a that was the biggest thing on on uh, Broadway for uh, years, and probably still is, I guess. They got income from a six year nine hundred thirty five million dollar Paramount deal, HBO Max legacy <laughs> deal, and then that that Book of Mormon. Number three, I guess we would think this, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know a lot about him, but uh, he has various ventures, including his BET shows, TV shows, and a production lot in Atlanta. Tyler Perry. Yeah. yeah okay. Don't doubt it. Yeah, I can see it. He does a lot. I, yeah. I, I have given a lot of money to him for every film about Medea. I have sat Oh, that's right. That's him. That's three him. and four that's shows. Right. I know. And you got <laughs> the action figures, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, all of God. them. But Wes has opened them and played with them, so they're not worth shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, playing with Medea is a disgusting, horrid thought in any form of fashion. <laughs> Who, who did who who was the guy martin he had the show called martin and his name is martin what's his last martin name he's a comedian martin lawrence was funny i thought he was funny yeah, i was a different a age and i was it watching different things of. but i thought he was pretty darn funny all right these top two forbes highest paid entertainers of 2022 have something in common because when i saw the names i thought did they do some big tour that we missed oh no wait they sold their music rights there you go Mm, Sting, is it Sting or yeah, Sting. Sting, two hundred ten million, yep. and at at two hundred thirty million, number one Forbes highest paid entertainer of twenty twenty two, Genesis. Okay, really? Wow. Mm hmm. I'm surprised by that. It says tour earnings and royalties. I didn't realize they did a tour. 
they played their last gig sometime last year because Phil Collins was in a wheelchair and or oh. on a stool, um, so ah. he couldn't he could sing. But there, so, so uh, Springsteen sold his, Dylan sold his, mm-hmm. a ton of folks did, um, but Sting's is the one that made the most money. That's interesting, huh? Yeah, well, cool. he his he sold his catalog for three hundred million. It says ahead of fees. And then Genesis, $300 million, uh, making a final income of $230 million, including tour, tour earnings and royalties. So, wow. There you that's, go. That's pretty incredible. I wouldn't I, have thought of that, uh, yeah. I kept this story. Uh, it's pretty abstract in nature, but it shows you the money to be made from your catalog sales and from things you have appeared on regardless of um, the time frame in which uh, the people were either alive or active. This guy's name has come up before uh, on the show Um, because of Toto and because of the session work that he did over his life. He would have turned 69 years old um, over the weekend. His name is Jeff Bercaro, and he was one of the founders of Toto with his brother Steve and uh, Steve Lukather and Bobby Kimball who sang lead. And they're still playing and they're they're playing. Have they already played here with Journey? Did I miss that? Yeah, it was Saturday night, yeah. Oh boy, I sure hate to have missed that. Uh, but Picaro, who I met a couple of times in the 70s uh, when Toto had first come out and they came to the station up in Louisville and uh, nicest guy in the world. He's been dead since 1992. Mm. And I I think I remember it was, uh, I don't think it was an illness. I'm not sure. I don't want to uh, malign his name if he was just sick and it wasn't, you know, booze and dope. But the thing about this is how they explain uh, his career. And since he's been dead for 22 for 30-something years, but he is still, he makes so much money in his his uh, estate. He began to play very young on the drums. Uh, his first drum kit uh, was a, a Slingerland Champagne Sparkle. I had one of those a long time ago, given to him by his father, Joe. In 72, he was a student, and he left that behind to play drums for Sonny and Cher's summer tour. Hmm. I had no idea. (laughs) Then he began to get work as a session guy. He played drums on Michael Jackson's Beat It. I had no idea. Pink Floyd's Mother and Springsteen's Human Touch. I never knew that either. I did know that I mentioned before the the, guitar player that has been dead since 1976, uh, Tommy Bolin, who was with Deep Purple. Uh, He replaced Blackmore in Deep Purple. He replaced Joe Walsh in the James Gang and was an incredibly uh, gifted young man. He died at 25, 26 from a heroin overdose, playing a gig with Jeff Beck in Miami. And he was on the verge of being a huge, huge star. Well, uh, so Jeff Bercaro played drums on the majority of that album. And I got a chance to talk to him about that, which I'll mention in a moment. Anyway, the idea of the band's name, Toto, 
came from an idea that Jeff had. At the time uh, of recording their first tunes, he had just watched The Wizard of Oz. And, of course, the dog Mm -hmm. was called Toto. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, uh, this term was used by Jeff to personalize the first tapes he recorded. Bassist David Hungate points out that in Latin, the word toto means total. That includes everything. So toto was thus considered the ideal name to explain the bands. Um, they were a pretty, they weren't a hard rock band. They were a pop band with uh, jazzy kind of influences and played in various, you know, styles and, and, uh, you know, and so that's where that came from. It means total. Uh, his idols, Buddy Rich, Art Blakely, a great jazz drummer, John Bottom and Keith Moon. Now here's, here's the kicker. In 2022, his musical works made $25 million. Wow. How, Hmm. you ask? Uh, His collaborations in music, um, I still allow his heirs to generate all these earnings. Uh, In 2022, he ranked number six on the list of deceased musicians who generated the most profit during the past year. Who would have ever thought that? And nobody except people in this business know who Jeff Bercaro is. Uh, but he was an incredible drummer. Uh, but he's been gone so long now that no one even cares. And for 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 the fans of uh, Tommy Bolin, and you're out there, I know there are some of you. Uh, when Toto had Hold the Line out, uh, and it was a big hit immediately, they came to the station I was in or at up in Louisville, and he came along with his brother and the singer Bobby Kimball. And we interviewed uh, them, and as they were leaving, I said, Jeff, let me ask you a quick question. This is the late 70s, right? And I asked him, I said, uh, I'm a real fan of your work uh, on the on the uh, teaser album, but Tommy Bolin. And he kind of smiled, and I said, what was it like to work with him? And he said, an incredible guitar player and the most fucked up guy I've ever met. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I thought, well, uh, that's from somebody who sat there and watched him play and then was around him. Uh, but Tommy was a mess, and that's why he's dead and has been since he was 25 years old. Jeff Bricaro, that's an off-the-beaten-path off little tale there, but still, hmm. it is worthy of, I thought, even... But he, he's, he's, he's still making money like that every year. We're doing, you know, session work and getting, getting all the, um, all the money from whomever he's uh, involved with. So there you go. Let's transfer to this one. Here's here. This is a good time. The unhealthiest American cities. Oh yeah. Southern states dominate that list. Now this is the place called um, uh, Study Finds, and they do research. It says in a nutshell. That's their, that's their little moniker. Where you live can play a big role in how healthy you are. And some cities invest heavily to make sure that the public doesn't get sick. That is not the case in many parts of the U.S. of A., which is no surprise to anyone. This study by WalletHub, who works with this operation, looked at the 182 biggest American cities. 
and they used metrics, what is it, uh, in 43 different areas. Among them, the cost of going to the doctor, the amount of fruits and veggies people eat, um, access to healthy food is one, terms of, uh, you know, green space like parks and places like that to exercise. And so they've got uh, the list. I have another list that goes right to the guts of this. Let me find this. Um, 183 cities. The unhealthiest place in America is yes. Brownsville, Texas. I don't know where it's Brownsville there. is. I can't I picture uh, a lot of unhealthy people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll look. I'll spell out that where it is. Number one eighty-one, and this popped up on something we had recently: Gulfport, Mississippi. I wonder if that has any relation to that oil spill and the subsequent messes and unhealthiness caused by all of that 10, 15 years ago. But why yeah, Gulfport? Because um, it's on the ocean, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Shreveport, Louisiana. 179, Columbus, Georgia. Augusta, in the same state, is hmm. above them. Montgomery, Alabama at 177. And the unhealthiest state at least is the one, two, three, four, five. Number seven unhealthiest, Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, Fayette, North Carolina, uh, in Texas, down yonder, um, Laredo and Corpus Christi. All they have down there is heat. It's just hotter than hell and it's flat land, I'm guessing, and I don't know. They have no access, I guess, to much of anything. They're pretty desolate towns, I would suspect. But but Memphis is um, right there in the midst of it all. And the other towns are all in the south. Well, what does that I say think, about this country? Yeah. <clears throat> I think Gulfport maybe has a lot of casinos. That could be one, one thing. Brownsville, Texas, by the way, is the southern, almost the southernmost tip of Texas, right along the border of Mexico. Mm. Okay. So that's where that is. Yeah, well, okay. Desolation and just booze and gambling and fighting in all these places that are unhealthy. The top ten healthiest places are in, they're all out in the West. Irvine, California, number ten. Denver, Minneapolis, that's not in the West, but still. Washington, D.C. is a bit surprising. Portland, Oregon, Salt Lake, San Diego, Honolulu, Seattle, and San Francisco, the number one healthiest American city. So mm. let's review what we've learned. The South is a mess. <laughs> we eat we eat fat and grease and fried stuff. Yeah. And we smoke a lot more than they do and over yonder. We smoke and drink yep. and we fight and we're stupid. And sit around. And yep. So yep. there you go. That pretty much sums it up. No offense to anybody who's not stupid, but uh, if you are stupid, you don't know it. It's kind of like being dead. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's, here's some song. Uh, uh, this is Bang Bang Romeo on Drake Digital. A few things from this area that are worthy of note, I believe. Um, uh, local news is usually so bad 
there's no reason to even get into it. It's the same thing every day, and you know what that is, and so why even bother? Although one of these stories uh, is in relation to the crime rate in this town, and this report is staggering. I'll let Wes do his first about the federal judge that, that has blocked something. I want to see how this goes. Yeah, What's I do the deal on this? I yeah. do too. This, uh, this happened a couple days ago. Federal judge blocks Tennessee law banning minors from drag shows. The it, This didn't happen as dramatically as I predicted, but uh, it did happen. There was a group called Friends of George that filed the lawsuit challenging this new law, and U.S. District Judge Thomas Parker has issued a temporary restraining order blocking this, and he put in... Uh, put out his ruling and said a, a well a bunch of actually smart things he said does a citizen's private residence count how about camp uh, camping ground at a national park what if a <laughs> miner's browsing the World Wide web from a public library and views an mm -hmm. adult cabaret performance he uh, says that uh, the move represents an extraordinary remedy given the circumstances he doesn't take this lightly but Here's a quote from him uh, from the uh, Channel 5 story. If Tennessee wishes to exercise its police power in restricting speech it considers obscene, it must do so within the constraints and framework of the United States Constitution. The mm. court finds that, as it stands, the record here suggests that the legislature passed this statute, uh, when the legislature rather passed the statute, it missed the mark. Basically saying the language is too broad, it clashes with the First Amendment, and no. And obviously, the uh, legislature and their lawyers have a chance to uh, speak up against this. There's probably going to be some kind of hearing, and uh, the, there's there's more many more steps. This isn't over, but this is at least taken this much this step right here. So the federal judge um, put the hammer down on this after all the drama and all the all the embarrassment from this state. You know, one more time, Tennessee does something unnecessarily stupid. Uh, why don't you solve some problems and stop worrying about who's wearing a goddamn dress? You know? I, well, uh, that's but, really hard, though. Yeah. And this was easy. <laughs> and it's it a sure temporary was. restraining order, so. So what, so what is the state government, how do they fight back when a federal judge says, this is not within your rights based upon the rules already writ? They're going to have to go to court, uh, probably with the people who brought this up, the Friends of George, and get bef before the judge and hash out you know, their reasons why they think it's per uh, perfectly legal. And hmm. the Friends of George will do their case. It'll be like, I guess, any other big lawsuit. A federal judge is no one to be tampered with. And when they make a statement and make a move like this, it seems to me that it might stick, um, which would... I just don't know why anybody thinks it's of great concern or their business. I saw a story today that made me—I I didn't even go to it because it—it was—it was clickbait. Uh, but it—it it was about a suggestion that uh, this has the, been the biggest year or two for the banning of books in the history of this country. Oh, and it—and it—it's—it's—it just—it just hurts you to your soul if you um, understand. And appreciate the fine writing of the past couple of hundred years and the things that are there and the context in which they were written and then the uh, the positions that people take based upon their beliefs now and they likely haven't even read the books 
but if they suggest anything sexual or use any words that are in quotes hurtful um, uh, you know racial issues and they just start you know banning books and then everybody hops on board and it's always been this way they've been you know burning records they were burning burning Beatles records for God's sake yeah and now it's books and there was a headline that said uh, that somebody fears or something that the next thing to be gone altogether are libraries and I thought come on it's not going to go that far ever. Why has everything got to be extreme? It's either some politician's way or the highway. And it's it's out of control. But I think, like many of these things, it's going to just go away at some point. I don't know. But we're going to now get rid of all libraries? That's a good decision. Let's just see how dumb we can get before the well, robots take over and eat us all. You know, libraries are obviously right. socialist, Drake. Well, they are paid for by taxes, and you can use them for free. When there's bookstores that you can order things from online, we should ban bookstores too. I think probably because who needs all that? Probably sure. You can buy the books there and read the dirty words, so that is problematic. Although I suspect that Amazon would have a little bit of something to say about that, considering how many books they sell. Oh well, it's just one more it's just one more head head shaker. Oh well, at least you got your health and I hope you keep it because if you have your health, everything else you can deal with. Um, I find that to be true in my own life. If you remain healthy and um, eat properly and if you look into as many of us do uh, various kinds of supplements and vitamins and not the old timey kind of vitamins like you know one a day, It'll save your life. No, no, it won't. And there are many, many things to look at. And our friends at Wholesale Nutrition have a, an expansive, a big, big operation on Goodman Road down here between Gitwell and Chulahoma. They began in a small store um, on Goodman Road many years ago, and now they have one of the uh, one of the best operations around for healthiness in many categories. On their website, wholesalenutrition.com, you can check the various categories of what they have. And it's um, there are just all kinds of supplements for various things and stuff for those of you that do your workout. They have pre and post post workout you know gear and smoothies and drinks and equipment and things like that. <clears throat> I mentioned before and I, and they've had some uh, some folks some folks ask them in the store about this stuff I've been taking for allergies since we're all eating this pollen by handfuls, not intentionally, I hope. <laughs> uh, it's called um, quercetin, Q-U-E-R cetin. They also have one called aller cetin, and they both work. And the minute that you get this, you know, your, your head's pounding and your nose is running, you take a few of these capsules and it dries up. And... It isn't an everyday thing. Once you, and once you you know feel this coming on, you take these supplements and they slow it down. They have a vast array of teas and a number of things that is not a bunch of you know it isn't about you know it isn't um, you know voodoo, and it's just various different approaches to being healthy without taking endless prescriptions from a doctor, which sometimes you have to. I do. 
and uh, many of us do, but there are alternatives to being healthy and you can look into them and ask questions of their staff. They're very informed on everything in the store. It's a, it's a, it's a, a bonanza of good things for your body. So look them up and go see them. WholesaleNutrition.com. The store is right by ATC Fitness on Goodman Road in South Haven. They've been good to me. I thank them very much. And um, go see them. You can ask about, I got joint pain. I got this. I got that. And they have suggestions for what might uh, relieve some of your issues. In the meantime, this is Drake Digital. If the monkeys had taken maybe better care of themselves, they wouldn't all be dead, except for Mickey Dolan's, and he might as well be. But here they are in their prime, the monkeys. This is Drake Digital. All right, here's one. This happens more than we realize, I guess. Um, hey, hush. It's her bedtime. It works. Or her get-up time. No, she yeah. just not got up, so she's bitching already. Yep. <laughs> hey. They just don't ever stop. Um, Antiques Roadshow. That comes to mind when I read Love the story. It. True masterpiece hung in family's TV room as a joke. Okay. okay. A 400-year-old work by Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, Bruegel or Brugel, the Younger is his was his name, surfaces and sells for just under a million dollars. The story behind this is a trip. An auctioneer was assessing the value of art and artifacts at a home in northern France late last year when a canvas caked in dust caught his eye. It was hung up behind a door in a darkened TV room. It appeared to be, to him at first, a masterpiece, was in, but was in fact a fake, he was told, by the owner of the home, some dude named Malo. Indeed, the man who, um, uh, who, who had the house, this, uh, this painting had become kind of a family joke because it looked like something important, but they thought that it was just some kind of piece of junk. The guy who was there to assess <clears throat> the things that were on the walls and 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 you know, just that were there said his heart was beating so fast he couldn't believe it. He told this to the the uh, Washington Post months after he saw this oil painting, which the auctioneer believed to have come from the 17th century Flemish painter who I mentioned. His suspicions were confirmed. And the painting sold for just under a million dollars at auction. <clears throat> the guy who's an expert, obviously, he saw the scene and knew what it was. He also knew that in this dimly lit room, it would be hard to tell if it was real or one of the copies made. And it was copied 60 or 70 times. Hmm. And these people, not being educated in the you know works of art, had no clue. The one they had in their home, though, was the largest of all the copies, and it had been passed down to the family uh, since it was purchased in the late 1800s. Wow. They thought it was a joke and not genuine, just a bit of a copy. So they hung it up on the wall behind a door. Nice going. <laughs> An expert found the work to be a genuine Bruegel, Bruegel painting between 1615 and 17. 
Oh my god. And one of the largest paintings attributed to the artist per the Washington Post story. It's one of those unique finds happens once in a career. It's unusual in terms of size and it's in great condition because it hung, hung behind this door for God knows yeah, how long. It didn't get spoiled yeah. by light. Right. So uh, it was copied so many times. The guy was at first a bit skeptical, but the size of it gave it away. And I assume this family got the major part of the dough. I hope so. Oh, my God. Uh, so cool. they're... So, don't discount the things that are lying around in someone's garage. They might be worth, uh, you know, a small fortune. So that's pretty cool. We, we've made uh, like a mental list of if, if Antiques Roadshow, you know, comes to Memphis or it, near here, we've made a mental list of what we want to take. The only bad thing is you can only take like two things or three, maybe. And I have like 10. Damn it. <laughs> you know. Well, you can't take any of your old posters from you know, poison and shit like that. So don't yeah, start. I don't have that crap. I've got yes, Van do. Halen and Kiss and Led Zeppelin. You should and, know this by now. And, and poison. And no. Trickster and Kicks. No, no. You Night Ranger. I'm going to come crap. over there and smack you. No, no we've got like old furniture. And I think he, he's got like a, Wes would dig this. I think my husband has some kind of sword from some great, great, I don't know who. I don't I know where. Swords oh, too up okay. here. You know? Yeah, I have, I, some, I, I have some swords, that I, that, but they're laying over here behind some artwork. Yeah. But I'm going to keep them just in case Wes and I come to odds someday, and we got to do <laughs> like, And he will kill me in about five I seconds. I was going to say, you better yeah. brush up on your shit if you think you're going to take Wes. I, I don't think <laughs> I'm going to be doing any, any you know, sword sword work anytime soon. Well. All right. Yeah. What? I was just Are you? It, it, well, yes, but... If we really got into it, I, I would not be coming at you with a sword because you would just Indiana Jones me to death. I just had the very same <laughs> thought from our talk yesterday. I'd just shoot your ass and it'd be, right. it'd be done in 10 seconds. Yep. That was a great story, though. Yeah, I just yep. love that. All that sword waving around and drama and Indiana, he, he just shoots him. Oh, man. Okay. Um, high school reunions. I have I have never been to one. Uh, I, in fact, uh, left uh, that blessed time in my life early, meaning that I quit because oh, I just couldn't yeah. take it. Uh, I thought it was one of the grandest waste of my time. Uh, it was ridiculous. This is in, in the 60s, and my father, who was an educator, a professor, a smart man who taught me about reading and books and education early, early on, had no problem with me walking away from really? it as long as long as I would go get my GED. Oh yeah. Um, so I was probably a junior. I think I made it that long, and I probably showed up. I don't know, maybe a couple days a week if I were in the mood. <laughs> and uh, I didn't care. I had long hair. I was an early, yep. young, uh, misguided, <laughs> misdirected, uh, just a little hippie kid trying to. I liked music, I liked books, and I didn't like teachers who were stupid. And there were some great people there, I think. My memory of the entire thing is a bit blurry. So, But every time there's, there, there is a reunion, they invite me. And I get emails and please come. And we, Because I have made something of myself, kind of, if you call this being something. And those who they wanted to... Because I was... On the radio at 
14 years old in that town. And so ah. they thought that I was um, either very odd or maybe kind of cool. Not really, but kind of. So anyway, as time has gone by, there's been the, the 10, 20, whatever they are. And my line of thinking has always been pretty much, I didn't like most of those people then. <laughs> then I sure as hell yeah. don't want to see them now. They're old fat asses and bald-headed fuckers. I don't care. Uh, and Frickin so I, for wearing. I have never gone. And um, so uh, this last one, a friend of mine, um, this girl that I had been in contact with because she lived here with her husband. And we stayed in contact, and she was just just a great lady. And uh, so she went down to Murray for this thing, and she mm-hmm. sent me pictures of the people. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, completely different? It, oh, my God. Did you From recognize being them? 16 and oh then God. 50 years later or something. Oh, wow. Uh, it made me, I, it just made me. I don't know. It was it was eerie. Um, I don't know. I I bet I, you look younger. I don't than know they what do. happened to them, huh? Yeah, I bet you look younger than they do. I think that I certainly do, and I and I'm not being, I'm not uh, being. I, I just couldn't believe how they looked. It was, it, and a bunch of them are just are just dead. Yeah, and they look even worse sad. than the ones that are alive. I'm guessing, but. <laughs> Well, did, did, it was pretty close. She, was she, was she like, yes, you know, sh- you shouldn't have come, or was she like, oh, I wish you did. Did she have fun? Did she hate it? Did Everybody she... asked about me. She said, blah blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. And um, I said, okay, well, that's cool. But but she sent me all these pictures, and I'm going, oh my god. Tell these them guys Drake Paul Memphis, best friends, and um, yeah. oh, so wow. anyway, anyway, it was very strange. But going to those things, I th- I just think it would be the most uncomfortable thing on earth. I just can't imagine. And you well, have some stories about some of these gatherings. Yeah, and and I went. I've been to two briefly, but I, my high school was my school was small. There were like fifty two in our graduating class, and it was all girls. And and I've been to two, and I think it was like the tenth and the fifteenth, or the tenth and the twentieth. I don't know, but the ones that I want to see and or care about, which maybe three, I mean, I only had like five friends anyway, I talk to them still anyway. So I don't, huh. you know, and, and and some others are nice, but I know they live here and I know that I can find them on Facebook or whatever. But, you know, yeah, so you, you but, but it's funny seeing just, it's funny seeing your friends and your acquaintances or whatever, the people you went to school with, what kind of person they married. Yeah. And and yeah, meeting yeah, yeah. them, you know, and you're like, yeah. oh, y'all go together. That's great. And then you're like, you see somebody else, you're like, oh, God, you deserve him. Ugh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. But anyway, yeah, this is people who went to their high school reunions are sharing the most shocking twists they discovered since graduation. This one says, this person says, the biggest surprise was finding out about my former classmates' careers. Most of us have pretty unremarkable jobs, but some stood out. The guy who got arrested for underage drinking three times is now a cop. The super genius decided to move to Costa Rica to save the rainforest, and the bad kid joined the army and now runs a small business, and he's doing very well for himself. What yeah. a twist. Nice. Uh, this, this says a couple of years after my parents got divorced, my dad went to his high school reunion and ran into his prom date. They caught up. She'd been 
she'd been the one that got away. Turns out she's secretly divorced from husband number two. They agreed to meet for drinks, then dinner again soon, and the next thing I do, knew, they started dating. When I left for college, they got married. This didn't happen at a 10-year reunion, mind you. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit longer to get the happy ending you've been hoping for. Hmm. That's sweet. Okay. Yeah, I suppose. One says, so, sleep. <laughs> one says, so many people went in complete, completely different directions that I than I would have ever expected. For instance, a guy I played football with was nicknamed Boozing in high school because, well, he was always boozing. He's now a cardiologist and doesn't drink at all. <laughs> well, that's probably smart because he's a hard yeah. guy now. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 This is... This is Caddy, there was a discussion about how you don't remember the nice things done to you in high school, but those mean, disgusting things and comments haunt you forever. At this point, one of the shyest girls from high school slams her drink, pounds the glass on the table, and screamed at the mean, popular girl from high school. She said she was evil and tortured her every single day with snide comments. Every single person there then started sharing horror stories about the mean, popular girl until she left in tears. <laughs> wow. I like that one. Well, but you know, thinking back though, I, um, since we lived in a college town and my dad was a, was a, was, it was a teacher and stuff. I always hung out with the kids older than me and not from high school. They were college kids because they lived in the area around us. And mm -hmm. I had a couple of good friends, I guess, but apparently not because I made no attempt the rest of my life to contact them for any reason. And there were some good dudes and there were some good times, I suppose. But I never saw that time of my life as many folks do, high school, as being so, oh, it was the best time of my life. Why? Well, People also, were bullies and mean yeah. and rude and just assholeish oh, yeah. and dumb in general. And the teachers were worse. <laughs> and I didn't have anybody I had any interest in being friends with ever again in my life and I wasn't until this one one lady who was a, a we were buds back in the day and um, but I just kind of you know vanished from that school and from that town never to be seen there again uh, which is fine but I caught up with her uh, and her husband and um, they're really great people but other than that I have never talked to anybody from that place ever again I didn't care. I mean, I, I, I just didn't give a shit. And I moved on with my life. And the, and the majority of them still live there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how do you, you move? How do you live your life? Break out. Go to Paducah. Do something good. <laughs> I went to Travel. school here and I've always lived Go here. to Hopkinsville. Jesus, do something. <laughs> go to, go to, go to, what's that? Uh, go to Nashville. Thing. Really rock out. Meet some cowboys. Yeah. Some fake and cowboys. Some country singers. When did oh, you leave? I've got some more that are good, but when did you leave? How old? When did you leave there? Like five years after high school or right, I right away? I was 19 or? when I got, I, I got, a, I had, uh, let's see, 64. I'm being uh, nosy. I was 19. I had uh, about 200 bucks. I had a cassette tape of my radio work, which I'm sure now I would just, just dial. It was just, uh, a suitcase. I had a friend in Louisville that I knew that I could stay with. I got on a cool. Greyhound bus. I was 19 years old and didn't know any better and went to Louisville and went to this friend's house and stayed there. And as luck would have it, the building or the radio station 
was was about a four block walk uh, to downtown Louisville. Ah. And I was there for a couple of days, and I took my tape, and being uh, totally you know naive and without fear, I walked down there and went up to the to the station. It was under uh, it was Beacon. It was um, they had just flown in a bunch of people to work on the radio and to change everything from Miami, from WSHE in Miami. And there were three or four guys there older than me, and they were all way too cool for the room. Uh, but I met the program director, and he was a he was a dick at the time, became a good friend. And I remember I was ushered in, and I sat down across from him, and he said to me, in the most arrogant of ways, so, what's your story? Oh, God. <laughs> that was the intro. And I gave him my take. And he listened to it. And he said, come back tomorrow. I came back tomorrow and he said, all right, we'll give it a shot overnights, I guess, on one night of the weekend or maybe two. Yeah. And that's how this all began. I had no idea what I was doing. I got on a damn bus with no money and some clothes and a tape. And all these years later. Man, that's an awesome story, though. But yeah, it's I mean, you, you, yeah, you, you got out of there. You got out of there. I, 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 you know, I went to school here and stayed here. Anyway, so the, these are these are good uh, high school reunion stories. This one says the massive stoner from the year below me, who used to get suspended on a monthly basis, turned out to be the head of the high school English department. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the way it goes, nice. though? Nice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wes, how, uh, what were you like in? In, in high school, just a complete nerd or a I was, I was quiet a, guy or I was a band geek and a gaming geek. I was a band geek. geek. I was in oh, yeah. the I was like one of the dumber kids in the smart kid clique, uh, and I was also <laughs> I that hard to believe. You're not dumb. And uh, but I was also in the a uh, the radio course. So I was with all the the kids who were taking you know, the practical life classes like electronics and welding and auto repair because the uh, the radio Shop. fell into that. And so, home ec, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I was spread around a little bit. But you graduated and then did what? Oh, I, yeah, I, I graduated, I got my diploma, and then I went to Memphis State University and did the same thing with uh, different people, except I wasn't a band geek at that point. And then you ruined your life uh, when I met you in 88. <laughs> well, I was on the way of ruining my life at that point already. <laughs> you just gave me a real good, easy door to uh, get in to get it all sped up. God, I am so sorry. But then again, I am so thankful, too. At the same time, I love it, hearing your stories, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, but, but I, I, I had. I mean, you, you have a longer, way more bigger, longer career than me. But I remember the overnights, weekends. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and they the were actually kind weeknights. of fun. But overnights, uh, weeknights after your day job. That was really yeah. Well, I, yeah, I did that, and I, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want. It just, it just turned into. Um, what is now kind of a blur from Louisville to San Diego, <laughs> back to Louisville, to Dallas, to LA, to, uh, it, it's just, and the older I get, the more clarity I get on some of it. And I just kind of go, how did I ever pull this off? 
Wow. This is the this is the longest con ever run by anybody that I know. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. Let me there are very few more. These are good. Uh, high school reunion stories. I rekindled things with my now wife. We hated each other in high school, but at the reunion, everything clicked. We had both changed a lot since high school. We talked and drank and decided that we had enough common interest at that point that dating would be a good idea. So that's an upbeat one. All right. This one yeah, says, almost like, sleep. Yeah. <laughs> this one says, it was distur- disturbing to discover that 17 classmates had died by our 10th High school reunion. Tenth. God, that's Jeez. awful. Tenth. Yeah, that's your yeah, only. We had a, a long list point. of mine that were, that were that that were that were gone. That was weird. Mm, yeah. I had no uh, idea who they were, but you know, whatever. Yeah, my seventh grade crush, the smartest girl in class, was still single at our thirty-year reunion. When I asked her what she likes to do for fun, she said, "Party." We were forty-eight years old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I guess she liked to it go all. to to. To, to bars where girl, girls go, and that's yeah. fine. This is the, a couple more. I recently went to my 40th high school reunion. A bunch of old people showed up. They looked like the parents of the people I knew in high school. It was that, freaky. That's, that's exactly right. Oh These God. pictures, man, I thought, son of a bitch, you old-looking, out-of-shape, don't-give-a-shit, badly-dressed, holy mother, what happened to you people? And I, I, I just have to, to at least tell myself, and convince myself that I don't look like they do. I, I just know that I'm, I'm older. I'm getting older by the day, but I have taken various measures to slow it down as best as I possibly can. <laughs> uh, but some folks, a, my dad is 92, almost uh, about 93 in May. And he looks pretty good for an old dude like that. And um, I, 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 I don't. I just saw those pictures and was aghast at how they had aged and looked kind of out of it. And like they were eighty years old. It's like Jesus, people. What, so what did weird. you do? Right. What they did hung you do around the, the, the. They just hung around the, the you know very same place <clears throat> their entire lives and um, went to Destin. About once a year, and that's about I was it. Say they get too Which much is fine if they're happy. It's, it's none of my business, yeah. but yeah. Jesus, it's just weird being the same age as old people. It's weird. What, it one really last is. One. Yes, it really, it really, really <laughs> is. Look at these old people. Oh, wait a minute, they're your age. Wait, yeah, it thing. sucks. This one takes the cake. My dad went to his 30-year high school reunion. A woman with whom he had a one-night stand with right after graduation approached him. She asked Uh-oh. if my dad remembered her. And he said, yes. She responded, good. We have a 29-year-old daughter. I have her phone number if you want to call her. OMG. That's unpleasant. How many times does that happen? insane. Well, those kids that age should not be doing that kind of stuff anyway. It's wrong and it's it's a sin. That's right. And I, you know, I I was thinking because she sent me a picture of the entire class. And I remember there's always one guy who was gay. And he got the, yeah. he just took a lot of grief uh, his entire life. I wonder if he's even alive. That crossed my mind. Um, some good people, some bad people. Uh, you know, there were black and white, and there was never any issue of race back then ever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a, a discussion. And um, yeah, it's a long time ago, and I wouldn't do it again. I hated it then, and I hate it now. 
Just the thought of it. It was awful. <laughs> it was painful. It was oh, painful. there were some fun times. But you hated it in the spring. What do you think? I just remember looking no, at the freaking clock in the last, in the, in the in second to last class of the day, going, gosh, damn it, hurry up. <laughs> you know, I had especially good times when you're about to be on summer in, break. Uh, back in the band days, you know, playing drums and playing playing in uh, you know quad state band and all state band and winning awards cool. for that stuff that was fun but then i got into because i was um i went i went to uh, a school where the where the children of teachers at murray state went as i remember this ah. and then uh, murray high school because i played drums a little bit there and the band director of the high school in murray his name was Phil something, a big old guy, but he and I met, or he saw me play somewhere, and so I got to transfer down to Murray High School, and um, so he was excited and made a big deal about it with the other kids in the band, and I thought, well, this is going to, this is not going to, you know, go well, because I'm his, his little pet, and um, so there were three or four drummers, and I was the best one, easily. And um, the first day there, he had me play the cymbals for the national anthem. Now, it is quite obvious where the cymbal parts go. And he would point to me and I would, you know, clash them. And he was, oh, that, that is so great. Welcome, Drake. And it's going to really be great to have you here. Well, about two years after that, after we had marched at high school football games and gone to the All-State Band and won that, and marched in uh, parades and all this other shit. And um, there was one day, and he, I guess that I assumed a little bit too much that he was my pal. And I was uh, in the back row where the band is, and I was either talking or not paying attention. Mm. And he told me to get the hell out. Ooh. And I think that that's the moment that something clicked in my brain I said well if I don't have this then there's no point to any of this and I was already being a nuisance at the radio station just hanging around there and so I just <laughs> this you know transference of you know playing music in that band uh, and then being around the source of all the music that I loved on the radio because music came out of the radio I was done right then and they could have it. I didn't learn anything I've ever used in high school, ever, that I can think of. I can math read. Math no worky? Yeah. <laughs> I can't even spell math. M-A-F, right? <laughs> math. Close enough. We know what Fs. you mean. Uh, this is Drake Digital. <laughs>